With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I go say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't wanna know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery, water comes to my eyes. Welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. Uh, we just seem to have lost Johannes Mike. Uh, Johanan, I, I see you still on the line, but we can't hear you. You said something and it just went out. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, no? we do. We can hear you now. Okay. I'm here. All right. So, this abolitionist daily again. This is Johanan Elia. This is Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, I guess we must have a really, really good show for you today. We must have a lot of information to get out to you today. The the, the alphabet boys on the other side of this internet is. Already getting busy, so let's get into it. It's April 29, 2015. The news and information regarding modern-day slavery, human trafficking, torture, beatings, rapings, killings, deaths in custody, starvation, slave labor, and on and on and on. These are all things that are a part of the modern-day slavery system, exactly like the old-school slavery system. Nothing really changed. People are still held in stocks and cells and trapped inside and on a plantation forced to labor. So that's what we discuss on this program is the slavery that is brought to us, the unique brand of American slavery brought to us by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which declared that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So if you heard that, and maybe I went too fast, but if you if you if you didn't hear that, let me say that again. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. So what we discuss is how in America we saw the state prison system developed back in the 1800s. In state to state, the prison systems were obviously all full of whites and non-blacks. 
is they developed the system and put it in place and built the buildings and created the rules and the, the bylaws and the way that things would go in the prisons. And the first, the, actually the first convict leasing programs were for for whites that were in locked up in prisons because everything that had to do with justice, everything that had to do with discipline and paying penance for for sins and all this type of thing for black folks went on on the plantation. So black folks was already slaves and was already on the plantation, so they had plantation justice for real. But as we saw the Emancipation Proclamation come along and all these slaves were set free, as we're told, then we saw populations in the prisons in states like Tennessee go from one black person in 1865 in the entire prison to 700 and some black folks in 1867 in the populations of Georgia prisons and Alabama prisons and Mississippi prisons and Louisiana prisons and Florida prisons and all along through the slave states for sure the populations of the prisons went from being all white to a few blacks the first year to hundreds and hundreds of blacks and then the populations went from 80% white to 20% white and 80% black. And it has never stopped. The time it has never stopped since. It has only continued to escalate as we saw black codes developed. Pig laws. Vagrancy laws. Just like today with the Michael Brown killing. He was stopped for improper improper walking in the, in a, in a street or something like this. A type of jaywalking citation. Well, we've discussed on this program that in those 1865 through 1880 years in between the Emancipation Proclamation and abolitionists believing that there was uh, some hope and that they had been able, they had been successful and then seeing, you know, before they were able to really truly see that nothing had changed, we saw the rise of laws that banned black folks from walking on the same side of the street as whites. Black folks cannot walk parallel to railroad tracks. Laws about making eye contact with whites and, you know, these types of laws, these types of, of quality of life. This is broken windows policing of the late 1800s. And we see that it continued on through debt peonage, the expansion of the convict leasing program to include uh, chain gangs and plantation work, all the same as it had been plantation work before. Angola Prison in uh, Louisiana is actually a former slave plantation. It is quite literally a plantation. So for 400 years, that same piece of land has been soaked in the blood of primarily black folks behind slavery and torture, rape, abuse, starvation, whippings, shootings, beatings, and all sorts of, of ridiculous inhumanity has gone on on that one spot on the map for hundreds of years. So these are things we discuss on this program. Is bring that information out. Bring it to the light. And uh, had a good conversation yesterday evening as we, we make our planning for the uh, new abolitionist radio program. As for those that are new to the program or have that did not know, this the abolitionist daily is really just a spinoff of the regular new abolitionist radio program that comes on every Wednesday evening here on the Black Talk Radio Network, 8 p.m. Eastern. 
Um, and I've been uh, fortunate to be a part of it for the last, uh, I guess, about, what, 18 months or so? I don't know. Maybe a little bit longer because I did the entire uh, state series with you guys. So that was a whole year, 50 weeks. So maybe uh, maybe a little bit longer. But anyway, I've been, you know, blessed and fortunate to be a part of that with uh, Scott, Scotty and uh, Max. Um, and I speak with Max on Tuesdays to prepare for the Wednesday program. We go over the stories that we're going to cover and, you know, the, basically the narrative we're trying to put together and, and all this type of thing. And um, it was an encouraging conversation as it, as it, you know, typically is. Max is someone that, you know, I listen to, I, I value his opinion. Whatever differences, he's the kind of person, whatever kind of differences you may feel you have in the heat of battle, when you're actually talking and planning and strategizing, then you definitely realize, you know, it's value to what you're trying to do. So I just always listen and learn and get encouraged and get myself together because, you know, I've been on the program the last several days and pretty much every week he reminded me at least once a week I go off like I'm not doing this no more. This is, you know, I can't take it or whatever. And he just reminded me to uh, continue to see it as though today is the first day that I'm talking to somebody. And it's not, you know, a matter of presenting the same information over and over again to the same people and people just aren't doing anything. And I, I was I was kind of spun out in the wrong direction. So, you know, shout out to Max. I look forward to working uh, tonight with the guys on the new abolitionist radio program. This is always a high point of my week to have the two programs get on Wednesday morning, get back with those guys Wednesday evening. And, uh, you know, fully immerse myself in this uh, abolitionist propaganda warfare. So, uh, for today, um, renewed commitment. And as uh, Scotty had worked with me earlier this week also, you know, and, and along the same lines, like just, you know, staying it for the long haul. So, I give you all the bad and I flip out or whatever, but I give the regular listeners the good also when it when i come back around and kind of you know because i'm just a person i'm trying to work through this too this stuff is ultimately frustrating to me on a day-to-day basis to see my people uh people that i love and people that i've sacrificed you know well for no not looking for any kind of glory at, uh, at all just because i know people need and if i have i give i mean i want to see people live i want to see people be okay or whatever so i've always been this way so it is very frustrating to see my people steadily getting killed, see my people steadily getting, you know, rounded up and corralled and thrown in these pens and forced into labor with jobs that they could never get on the outside world. You know, on the outside, these call center jobs at AT&T, these call center jobs at Verizon or T-Mobile, these labor jobs for Walmart and, and repackaging returned items and putting together, uh, assembling equipment and products and whatnot for Walmart on the backside or whatever on the, on the front end, working those jobs would be living wages for my people. So it gets, you know, in the deepest part of me on a cellular level, I, I want to go crazy when I see my people being caught up in quality of life and hyper-criminalization type of policing. It drives me up the wall when I when I hear people, you know, talking heads get airtime and spread their propaganda and lies that have to do with how black folks commit the crime. So that's why the police are there. No, that's not true. If you policed suburban white America with the same intensity, with the same fervor, with the same passion, 
and with the same lies and corruption as you did, as you do every day to black neighborhoods. And if you take away, freeze people's assets immediately upon arrest, so they're on the same financial level as all these black folks you just catch that don't, that have to go through public defenders and don't have legal representation. So when you throw them in the cell and you stack up charges against them and you got them facing all these years because really all they did was had a dime bag, Freddie Gray had a dime bag in a pocket knife. He's dead. And I've watched over the last week, his death has been justified in total. And we still don't have the story of what happened, so I can tell you what's going to happen. White supremacy is going to come out with a narrative. They own Hollywood. They make movies. I mean, come on. They're about to give us a story about Freddie Gray, and it's going to be some fantastical mess. And it's going to make sense to all white supremacists and all white racist apologists and all other delusional individuals. It's going to make perfect sense, just like the story that came out that Michael Brown was in a rage and he got upset when he got stopped by that cop and he turned around and went like a madman and attacked that police officer, jumped through the window of his truck, started punching him, beating him. He thought he was going to get beat to death, reached for his gun, tried to pull it out. I mean, this is what the people believe. This is the story now. This is how it is. This is the story. This went from being two kids walking home from the store cop rolls up on him cusses him out get the deaf out the street you whatever whatever has his gun drawn this is the first testimony that we get and the first witnesses that we're hearing from the story the day it happened is people saying the cop rolled up on him did a u-turn blocked the street got out had his gun drawn they had their hands up and said please don't shoot and he started firing and that story immediately turned from that into oh we got some videotape you still don't know who the cop was, but we got some videotapes showing that, that this is Michael Brown. He was robbing a story. No, we're not saying that's connected to him. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand. We didn't say that that was connected. We we were just saying that, you know, he he, he did rob a store, in case you didn't know. He, uh, he, yeah, he was a bad guy. He was out here, you know, robbing stores for cigars, man. So we're not saying that that's a capital punishment crime. We're not saying it's related to how he ended up dead, but we're just letting you know that he did do that. So, uh, then, okay, so here's the name of the cop that killed him, just if you care. And if you look back at that story, the truths about the two individuals were so intertwined from the start to finish of how that was handled. We didn't learn who Darren Wilson was until we learned that Michael Brown had been involved in stealing some cigars from the grocery store. Once that was told, then we found out about who Darren Wilson was. And at the conclusion of it, we didn't find out that Ferguson itself is guilty of continuing criminal conspiracy to extort millions and millions of dollars from the people of Ferguson, primarily black, as they showed racist pattern and practice. Racial profiling is the rule. That information didn't come out until they released the Ferguson, the same DOJ re, re, uh, released a report on Ferguson police officer 
or at that time, former Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson. So they intertwined the information all the way along. So look for this exact same pattern to occur with Freddie Gray. We won't find out a narrative. They won't put together a story that they released to us until they have some damaging... They already released his his, uh, arrest record, which shows a, a pattern and a history of a person that is a drug addict, that is likely in and out of being homeless, that has largely been unemployed for decades, has some mental illness going on, is obviously poor. These are the things that his arrest record says if you have any kind of common sense when you read these things. You don't see somebody that had other options. You don't see somebody that had uh, any kind of uh, programs that he could take advantage of to get rid of his addiction to get some job training, get some and get it, get employment some kind of way, gets a better housing situation, get some money, which is what we all need to survive and live inside and eat and move on as people and not be out here drug addled and trying to self medicate. See, remember America has 10 times as many people, quite literally 10 times as many people in prisons that have severe mental illness as America has in actual state mental health hospitals coast to coast there's roughly 36,000 to 37,000 people on the records enrolled in state mental institutions around the country these institutions have been classically defunded for the last 25 to 30 years under programs that go as far back as Ronald Reagan, Bush Sr., Bill Clinton, the continuing defunding of these kinds of programs. This is how America was in the early 1900s. The asylum days, when the mentally ill were sent to prison. And then we had reformers who came around and were like, that's crazy. You can't be sending our mentally ill into prison. We've got to establish some type of a state facility they can help these people. They can they can house these people. And we did that for decades, for generations. But then we got real smart and we got real technologically advanced and we got real frugal on the money and we got conservative. And we cut that state funding out. And in some cases, we went to privatization. And privatization quickly, in some cases, quickly evolved into private prisons and then we started to see the rise of mental health issues being handled so to speak by the prison system so here we have a Freddie Gray how are they going to spin his story how are they going to fix what's going on in Baltimore by telling you not only his arrest record but giving you some personal stories about what a, a horrible person he was what he he had done so much damage to the society around him they're going to keep spinning it to spin you out and let you know what a horrible person he was and not say that he deserved to die, but not not say it. Then you're going to find out some feel-good stories about the cops. If they even have to name them, if they even have to be addressed. Because the state is in a situation where the state can protect these officers and they don't even have to tell you who they are. But if somehow we find out, maybe somebody exposes them and puts the names out and tells you who they are and gives you some, there'll be some feel-good stories about those cops. 
Yeah, well, he did this on that day. He, we don't know for sure what he did. We don't know if he actually touched him. We don't have any video to show that he actually broke his spine. But we do have footage of him when he was at Christopher Columbus Middle School that day when he was reading stories to the children and handing out turkeys at Christmas, and he's a part of the Toys for Tots program every year, and you'll see all of that spin you out. Then we'll get some kind of a... Uh, a story about the law and the proper interpretation of our historic Anglo-American law enforcement and blah 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 and that'll spin us out and we'll, well dang man can you even prosecute a cop we'll be wondering dang can you can, can you even is that even legal to wow I don't even well I guess we can't prosecute this guy well I guess he hmm and people's hands will be tied again and Stephanie Rawlings Blake mayor of Baltimore will get ultimately her wish to come true because she hasn't really wanted to work with the system that's in place as far as the local police and the local politics that, that are all a part of the classic dysfunction of the Baltimore Police Department and Maryland State Police where they've involved themselves directly in Baltimore's affairs she's now able to hand it off to the feds see this isn't like Ferguson this isn't going to play out like Ferguson where they their mayor Mayor Knowles Beyonce's cousin where he says well I'm taking on the DOJ Eric Holder don't run nothing here and our people are good people and We're going to fight the DOJ. They can't take over our policing, and they can't, even though their sister city, Jennings, already had to disincorporate its entire police force because of the exact same behavior. Rampant racial profiling, rampant criminal extortion of people of color, wrongful imprisonments, beatings, tortures, deaths in custody, all of that. And they had to end the, end the system. That's why St. Louis County runs the police system through Jennings and all around Ferguson, Ferguson is one of the last little cities that still even has its own police force. And as we looked at the numbers after Ferguson, Ferguson ain't even close to being the worst in Missouri. And as we run the series on New Abolitionist Radio every week now, Ferguson is America, picking out state to state. We're just going alphabetical order. This week will be Colorado. We're going to blow Colorado up. We've already gone through the A's, so we've you know, already been through Alaska and Alabama and Arkansas. Arizona covered California last week and we'll be on Colorado tonight and just showing you racist pattern and practice criminal conspiracy we're developing all of the evidence necessary to put together a RICO case against any number of these people state to state, city to city the information is there and Baltimore is about to fall in that same thing we're not on Maryland yet so we're not going to get into a thorough study of Maryland until we get there but before we get there there will be reports there will be information there already is information showing Baltimore has a 2.5 million dollar cap on its wrongful death lawsuits on its police abuse civil suits there's a 2.5 million dollar cap for the most part you can't get any more than 2.5 million dollars out of Baltimore they've killed that many people there they've abused that many people there They've tortured 
that many people there. That many people have come up dead. That many people have ended up messed up behind the cops. That many people have successfully brought cases against the municipality, the judiciary, the law enforcement. That they had to put a cap on it because it's just too many people getting too much money. They can't. They, there's no way they can pay what they owe for what they've done. So when you see the rioting, think about that side of it. Where were you? <coughs> excuse me. Where were you when a thousand people over the last ten years? had their lives destroyed by these same cops, by this same judicial system, by these same prosecutors. Where were you at? See, you can see CNN and see the rioting, and it's easy to jump on board. This is like picking a side in a divorce or something, and you weren't even anywhere around the marriage. You just think the woman's cute, so she must be right, or you just think the man seems like a nice guy, so, you know, damn her, I'm on his side. You know, this is not, this is not Twilight. This ain't Team whatever, werewolves versus vampires or whatever. This is not no damn Hollywood love story. This is the reality of not even a thousand people. Not ten thousand people in the last ten years. This is not the reality of a hundred thousand people that have been wronged. All numbers that should create a national outrage. This is not the reality of those kinds of numbers. This is the reality. What you see in the streets is the fruit of seeds sown over generation after generation, sown in the dark, sown in the shadows, kept out of the media, kept out of the national narrative, never addressed in one single presidential campaign in the last 50 years, never discussed by any political candidate running for state office in Maryland, never discussed by the mayor herself in her campaigns, the situations and the problems, never truly confronted, never fixed, and the people caught in the mix. See, there's real people caught in that. This is not theory. This is not just sitting up and, and extemporaneously pontificating on the ideals and the sociological this ain't all that. This ain't all that hot air and rhetoric. This is real people. This is real children born into this system and have lived their entire lives under threat of slavery, under threat of death on sight at the hands of police. That's what this is. You can take these other angles and white supremacist sympathetic perspectives and politically correct ways of, of stating it and being politically safe and not calling it what it is. This is slavery in America under the 13th Amendment, which incentivizes modern-day slavery and human trafficking. When you have a law in place that says slavery is, a, is abolished except for when you can convict a person of a crime, and then you have a system that state-to-state runs an average of 94% of all convictions come about as a result of plea deals. And federally, 97% of all convictions in the country come as a result of plea deals. 
You have a system that by its own constitutional law says that you have the right to due process. You have a right to a fair trial with a jury of your peers, legal representation. And you have a system that patently does not deliver that. As the judge himself said, this is a myth of a right to a fair trial. So when you're developing your opinions and you're watching the news and you're listening to people pop off wise about all things that they have never studied, they got a bug up their ass because they had a couple beers and they're tired of seeing these darkies out here running around throwing rocks. So they're going to tell you what's really in their heart. Of course, listen to them because they're telling you who they really are, number one. Because any real person with a real heart, with a real love for everybody, like everybody so easily says. See, it's easy to say, I just love everybody. God loves us all. We're all red on the inside. We all bleed red, brother. And I got plenty of black friends. All that crap we all know that's been made jokes of it, and it's classically known as rhetoric BS. When they get done with that, and it's time to actually love these people, ask them where they were for the last 10 years. Ask them what they did after they watched The Wire. That's a wildly popular television show. People saw that. They knew it was based on some real testimony, and if they wanted to find out how close to real it was, they could have gone to Baltimore to see for themselves. Baltimore has been in shambles for decades. Why do you think they brought in that raging bull, prancing bull Ray Lewis to jump around and take your mind off of what's really going on so you can get behind the football team? And these people have been living in squalor and dilapidated homes without services without city services without state services without social services of any kind for generations at the threat of modern day slavery held over their head at the threat of death at the hands of police so hell yeah they're they're flipping out but stay tuned for the spin on the Freddie Gray so we'll come back and get into some news I just had my first little monologue I guess the first part of the program we gotta take our first break though this is the Abolitionist Daily. We'll come back, open up the phone lines, get into the news. Uh, so we'll be right back. So we say, we always say the Black Panther Party, that they can do anything they want to do. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you remember I said, with the last words on my lips, that I am a revolutionary. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Alaya here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We're about to go in. It's Wednesday. I'm hyped up. And my comrades got me on track, you know. I I guess I had a rough weekend or something. I don't know. I was really, really debating this whole thing over the weekend. And as you know, if you follow the program, I came in kind of strong. I mean, I am still disgusted. This is ridiculous. This is not real. This can't be life. But it is life. This is what we got. This is the cards they gave us. So, you know, we got to figure out what we're going to do with this hand we got because we got to play the game. We gotta play the game. And assimilation, attempts at assimilation and attempts at, at, uh, going along with, you know, the system 
That's like we're playing poker at a table with five players or something, and you're just going to decide you're just going to play with the person next to you. Like, they got a hand, and they're trying to beat you. You can't just take your cards and match them up to their cards, and now y'all got, you know, four of a kind or something just because you give them your pair. You give them your pair, and he's going to look at you like you're crazy. You don't get to win because you give up your trump cards. You give up your, your matching books. Because you want him to give you some of his coins, you want him to let you win the hand with you with him. We're sitting at this card table called life, and it's every man for himself. The hand you get, you better figure out how to play this game. And right now, non-white people and black folks in particular are still looking at this as though I got an ace. I'm going to give it to him. See, I got talent. I have gifts. I have education. I have work ethic. I have morals. I have spiritual guidance, insight. I got a strong mind. I'm resilient. I'm in good shape. I'm in good health. I'm attractive. I have all these wonderful cards in my hand. And what I'm going to do is hand them the white supremacy because they'll take care of them. Again, this is not necessarily a, a Christian show. I'm not a Christian myself. I just read and study a lot of different things, and I have my own faith practices, but they don't have to overlap into what I talk about with you on this program. We all need to fight slavery, so don't you know, flip out on me or whatever because I give you Bible verses or give you references to ancient works from holy books that have words of wisdom in them. And there's passages in that Bible that talk about your talents and multiplying your talents. That's your job. There are some people that are Christians. There are some people that are, you know, believers that are listening. So for their benefit, I do tend to talk to people because I believe if you're a person that you already have established that you have a belief system. You've already established that there's a standard that you live by. Yes, I hear you when you say I'm a good person. I don't need that. I hear you. I mean, sure. I don't know what your definition of a good person is, though. So that's kind of wide open. There's people that think they're good people that have kitty porn on their computer and they sit up and masturbate to pictures of little children, but they're good people. I'm not saying that's anybody that's hearing me speak now, but it could be. Somebody's doing it. It ain't going away. So somebody out there is a good person that don't need God and don't need whatever that is killing animals, that is maybe killing people. We don't know this. I don't know what your moral standard is when you say you're just a good person and you don't need any kind of leader leading into righteousness. Okay, so with that point made, there are passages that say you have to be a good steward of the gifts that you've been given in this life. I don't see how that's something that should offend anybody if they don't believe in God. That's a pretty basic truth about life, period. I follow the, the various movements and listen to the speakers and lectures and the series or whatever. I got a friend on my Facebook named uh, Seven Bomar. This guy's a freaking genius, man. I don't know if I can follow him all the way into what he's doing, but the stuff he's revealed, 
It's amazing the things he discusses. They have to do with metaphysics and just controlling your life and your energy and your vibrate your vibratory levels and you know your thoughts and your breathing and the, I mean all these kind of things. And I get all of that. I'm with that. That's cool. I want to be better. But even he can't deny there's the truth to a statement like that. You have gifts and talents that have been given to you. You were born with propensity for certain things that you can do that only you can do and you can do them well. Those are your gifts. Those are your talents. And you are responsible for taking those things and multiplying them, making something more out of them than what you had when you came. When you were a little kid, you were born with all these things, like I just listed off, all of these attractive qualities about yourself. And it's going to be up to you to listen to your instructors. It's going to be up to you to pay attention to your teachers. It's going to be up to you to make right kind of relationships with friends and associates and people that can help you and people that can put you in good positions where you can grow and expand and become a better and better version of what you started out with and give this world something positive so our society can thrive. This is just common sense. This isn't just some crazy rhetoric I'm coming up with. This is how the world has survived all this time. The people that had it gave it and multiplied it and made it better for everybody else. And then we gave what we had and we worked together. It's a community. So I'm saying all this to remind you that we are having the Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser. It's going on all year, 2015. We're just like any other. We're really not just like any other. We're not exactly like PBS or NPR because we don't get the corporate funding and we don't get the state funding and whatnot. This is truly 100% community-sponsored radio. So Black Talk Radio Network and all of the programs that it puts on air, all of the talent that it puts on display all of the information that you learn, the enlightenment that you get, the opportunity to get your voice out there, helping people organize, helping people put together protests and marches and helping people put out their information, promote their books and their, their writings and their articles and their blogs and their music, helping people get their events out there, their calendars of events put out there to the people so they know Helping scholars and academics get their works put in front of people, get their wise, uh, their wisdom and knowledge put out in front of the people. All of these are things that this network does, but it ain't free. Just like if you are trying to promote yourself through other aspects, through other venues, you're going to have to pay for that. You can come on this network and we'll put you on. We're not going to charge you for that, but we have a cost. And that's all the network, that's all the fundraiser is for, is to pay the costs of running the network. And to empower the people who are looking to expand on their gifts and talents. See, I believe in the community. I believe in black folks. I am one. That doesn't mean I don't believe in anybody else or I don't care about you. Damn right I believe in white people. Hell, every job I pretty much ever had, it was plenty of them in charge. How could you not believe in white folks? How could you not believe in the competency and the, and the greatness and the abilities of white people? That would be a ridiculous statement to make. Your entire reality is framed by the thoughts and the ideas and the physical contributions and the financial payout from white folks supporting a system. So when we talk about a fundraiser for the Black Talk Radio Network, that should not offend you. 
that should inspire you. You like 97.5, you like 103.3, you like Hits FM, you like 99.7, and you like all these stations that you hear on the, on the dial, up and down the dial. Those are all owned by white folks. Facilitated by white folks. Administrated by white folks. The paychecks are signed by white folks. The talent is largely made up of white folks. The interns. The researchers. The, the HR department, the, the, the cleanup crew, the dude that run, that owns the vending machines, that he puts them in the damn station where the people go there and get them M&Ms and they Cokes. It's a white dude. I mean, across the board, it's white supremacy. It's not like it's just a negative thing to say it's white supremacy. It is white people in a position of supremacy. The Black Talk Radio Network is truly grassroots trying to give some black folks, if they got sense enough, to take part an opportunity to create something that generates all that for us. We talk about slavery on this program. We talk about modern day slavery and human trafficking here. We talk about inhumanities that are being handed out to our people. We give you the statistics. It shows unquestionably that black folks are at the bottom of everything. There is nothing that you can study that you're going to find that has to do with pain, death, subjugation, torture, mortality, dying early, dying in a weird way, dying crazy, dying of preventable causes, every kind of messed up thing. Melanated people lead as A number one. It would seem to me to be a pretty simple fix for you to start controlling the narrative, the dissemination of information, the promotion of propaganda, to get your minds right, to get the spin that you need, to get your get your positivity on, get your vibrations up, to be responsible stewards for the gifts that you have. See, it's one thing from like before the break, I went off about the generations of people that have been treated poorly in Baltimore the generations of black people you know grandpa the oldest living family member of the family maybe great grandpa you got an 80, 90, 100 year old grandpa or somebody and then you got you know the 80 year old 70 year old great uh, grandpa 50, 60 year old mama 40 year old daddy and they teenage and 20 year old children is the teens now so those are several generations and that's quite common that that would be several thousands of people that represent those type of generational overflows year after year generation after generation all those people still alive and they feel blessed and lucky to be alive all of those people living under the threat of slavery from the great grandpa in his day to the grandma to the mama, to her son, to his kids. And when them kids get to screwing and making babies and trying to figure out what's going to happen in this world and they look at the news and they see Freddie Gray and they see Eric Garner and they see Michael Brown and they see Akai Gurley and John Crawford and Tamir Rice and and they know that on the other side, we also tell you that, I mean, just because we talk about black folks getting killed, they kill a thousand white folks a year too. So they realize that they're having children now becomes real to them. They realize they're having children in the slave state. 
they realize that they're born into a domestic colony situation where their ancestors were only brought here for slave labor and now there is no other outlet for them your only other outlet if you don't support the black talk radio network if you don't build black businesses if you don't create black infrastructure your only outlet for everything about your life is to pour that into white supremacy and hope that you survive this is the reality of the truth you don't have another option what are you going to go buddy up with the American Indians let them create a better day for themselves I guess if you can get in go do that then you're going to team up with the Asians give them your gifts your, your brilliant mind and your talents I mean black folks came out of slavery creating all sorts of inventions there were manumissions laws in place that would set slaves free if they came up with a brilliant invention that helped white supremacy this is the foundations of our society it has not changed that same Ray Lewis I was talking about before the break that they put him on display for all them years in Baltimore get your mind off of what was going on on the streets he was counter propaganda but you do realize Ray Lewis was facing murder charges before he could get a career going and just like a slave back in the day they proved that he had a greater value generating wealth for white supremacy so he was able to avoid going to prison Lulu was responsible for generating a billion dollars for the owners of the Baltimore Ravens ultimately several championships a few world championships pro bowl appearances selling uh, paraphernalia and, and uh, league sponsored gear of all sorts promoting programs and charity organizations that support white supremacy I mean he he really did put in the work this is your reality just on a smaller scale if you don't support Black Talk Radio Network if you don't support black grassroots that is honest and transparent and available and working to help you get your voice and your talents out there then your only other choice if you have gifts and talents that you want to explore that you want to express and explore is to pour them into white supremacy you don't have another option so the fundraiser yes is a call to a call clarion call for people to give and in people's giving it's also an opportunity for us to thank people that have shown love that have seen the vision that just like us or, or, or our friends or whatever or people that don't know us will never meet us but they want to send a token of their appreciation all of that is wonderful and we thank you but we're always going to have is our root base our foundation is always going to be made up of the talent the talent pool of black folks the gifted people the conscious people the inventors the attorneys the speakers the preachers the teachers the historians the warriors the mothers the fathers the mentors the counselors the sociologists the scientists this is who we need to be appealing to this is who we have to have on our side we don't have an army without the talent pool working with us so just understand when I put out the clarion call for the fundraiser every day on the program we appreciate everybody that has given but we really are trying to affect the consciousness of our communities so we can build an actual community because right now we just have a collection of people who are trying desperately to assimilate into a slave state 
but no longer be the slaves of that state. That sounds rather ridiculous, doesn't it? That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Here you are, a former slave in a slave state, trying to assimilate into the slave state and not be a slave. I don't know how you can make sense out of that. But the bit of freedom that we do have, the Black Talk Radio Network represents that freedom total. This is the true manifestation of the freedom that we do have at this point. We can get on air, we can get our voice out, we can promote our propaganda, we can fight the war with our best interests in mind, without interlopers and people trying to take over the narrative and people that just have to put their face on it and say we're all one and all. No, we don't have to do that. We can support our own. And we can create the movement again. We can revive the movement again and bring it back and even stronger than it was in those civil rights years. And truly get a hold of people and, and grab a hold of their attention. We can do like Garvey did a hundred years ago with no TV, no live broadcast radio, no real media behind him, but collecting a million black folks to get into the movement. Generating enough wealth to be able to buy ships before they were sabotaged by white supremacy but to be able to buy ships, to be able to buy equipment and materials and dispatch people out of this place that wanted to leave and, and start colonies elsewhere and start up and, and get a chance to get out from under white supremacy. Just to be able to educate people and make them feel better about themselves and create a more responsible movement of people instead of having a random ramshackle conglomeration of pissed off folks throwing rocks and running all over the city, jumping on cars and breaking windows. Look back a hundred years at the UNIA and see people marching in lockstep by the tens of thousands. Which one do you think is a more proper display of power? Which one do you think is going to actually make the state take notice to what's going on? We can have that. We can organize that through our own networks. But we have to be serious about that. So if you hear this, just play what I'm saying to somebody if you don't know how to say these things. I don't know. Or listen to what I'm saying. Write down some of the notes or whatever and start talking to people like this. It's just that simple. We have to get to a point where we take control of what we're saying. Take control of what we're thinking. And start pushing forward with the concise, clear narrative that speaks to common sense for our survival. We can't keep being TV heads hip-hop heads, gospel heads. We can't keep being fashion bugs and gossip hounds. We can't keep being sexy. I'm so tired of it. Social media is great. I love it. I love to be able to learn and see and meet people and, and do all the things we do to be productive. But I'm really tired of it. My Facebook timeline is full pretty much every day with suggested friends. And all you see on these suggested friends a lot of times is, I mean, strikingly beautiful people. I mean, mostly it's women for me. They show a lot of women. And, I mean, they'll be gorgeous. I, I love women. I see beauty in most of them. But 
I mean, I'm talking about serious dimes, just like everything, head to toe, beautiful women, cold-blooded pieces, just like, wow. So you click on the profile and see what's up with the person, and all it is is selfies, man. All it is is Vine videos shared, funny videos of nigger behavior, street fights and little babies rapping and I don't know, just ignorant foolishness, bucking and cooning and ridiculousness and then more selfies and butts out and legs. Uh, I'm seeing your thighs all up to your crotch with your short stuff on and booty pics and weave down your back and fully made up and nails and hair and fabulous and I'm seeing dudes with their cars and their rims and flashing money and showing a gun they ain't about to fire at nothing in, in anger against white supremacy a gun threatening other black folks people on trips and vacations and seeing the world and just living their lives and just so happy and free and people displaying their degrees and on and on and on. This is what people's minds are on. We can't keep... How are you living like this when the record is told of us? We're going to be a bunch of Solomon Northrop's. Did you watch 12 Years a Slave? Did you see the Solomon Northrop story? Have you read the book? I can give you the audio file. You can listen to it on audio book. I can give you a PDF link. You can read it for yourself right on your phone or your computer. Solomon Northrop's story. Solomon Northrop was fully assimilated as best he could be as a free black man in the height of slavery times. I mean, Negroes was catching hell. And here you had this black man who was very much like about 500,000 other black folks, suited and booted, clean, living his life. He was a, he was a musician. He had a trade, he had a gift, he had a talent. And like I just got through telling you, his only way of using that talent was to pour it into white supremacy for pay. And so he did that. He, he carried out contracts with white folks. And one day he signed one contract too damn many. And he got a hold of some slave catchers. And they didn't let his black ass go for 12 years. He was sold into slavery for his, for his trouble, for his talents and his gifts. And his being free. He's getting married and buying a house and raising children and being a free man with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of his brothers and sisters on slave plantations all throughout America with his own self being subjected to the ill treatment of the Negro of that time. But he was okay with it because he didn't break the law. Because he was educated, he had a trade, he was a skilled musician, he, he had a gift. He wasn't like you people. And he spent his time in them chains. He spent his time behind that whip. He lost some flesh to that whip. He got that tree on his back too, them scars, that tree. He spent some time with the noose around his neck, literally. He spent some time with them dogs chasing after him, them slave catchers, them cops was on his tail as he tried to escape a few times. They had to break him down. He was you. He was the common modern American Negro of today. 
If he had had a phone, a cell phone camera, he would have been busting selfies of his proud of his self self. If they had degrees for the what he would have had a school of music degree to put on a wall and take a picture of it to put it on his social media page so you can see, look, white folks told me I'm a good musician. I'm sure he spent time cleaning up his carriage, his horse and buggy he had. Keep it clean and keep it right and look how fine it is. I'm sure his wife wore the nice fashions that he could afford for that time. I'm sure he had a nice pocket watch. Had him some bling. And his people were in suffering enslaved. So we're going to get into the news. I'm going to give you the news, but I just... You know how I get sometimes. Sometimes I feel like we need to have a conversation. We need to get into a little bit more what's really going on because I can just keep blowing these news headlines by you and I'm seeing and for months of doing this show now, I'm not even cutting a... I thought myself I was going to start doing this program and for some ridiculous reason I thought I would be able to cover at least make a dent in the news that comes out day to day about modern slavery but it really isn't happening. I'm still averaging three to four hundred emails every day in my inbox. And yeah, a lot of them are the same story, just from different links or whatever. But I would say there's roughly about a hundred unique stories a day that just come out that have to do with the financial end of it, have to do with the vendors, the Corizons, the Aramarks, the Wexford Healths, have to do with the lobbying, have to do with the immigration, have to do with police murdering people. Have to do with the mass incarceration problem and what big star person is talking about it now and who's on a book tour discussing that, you know, so all this stuff just keeps flowing. So I can give you that and I'm going to give you that the uh, second hour of the program. We're going to, you know, just break into news headlines. I'm just going to give you some bits from the news and we're just going to fly through some links and get you up to speed. And then I'll be posting all that on the abolitionist daily uh, Facebook page and you know, when I put up the information, the uh, the, the regular show uh, promo, I'll have all the links hyperlinked into the description of the program for the podcast, and you'll be able to do all what we usually do. But for now, as we're recording this and we're live and we're talking about it, I'm giving you a little bit more depth of thought. Because like I remind you from time to time, we have to work also on helping people develop a proper way of even thinking as an abolitionist. There's one thing to just say to you, be an abolitionist. John the Baptist wasn't just standing in the river just grabbing random people, dunking them in the water and saying, you're saved and sending them off. The Buddha wasn't just sitting in meditation and when some dude come walking by, snatching by his gown and sitting down in the lotus position and say, oh, now you are a believer, you are in the faith or whatever. Muhammad didn't just go snatch people off the street and say, come on with me and, you know, here you go. This is Islam. You have to rethink, renew your mind. You have to rethink things. You have to see things from an abolitionist perspective to be an abolitionist. You have to see how I see things. You have to think about how we discuss stuff on the programs. You got to think about it from these perspectives. You got to, it's got to start to jive. It's got to start to make sense. You have to not only see what's going on in the headlines right now, but you got to be able to use your common sense about the right now present to become a prophet of what's going to happen in the future. So when I tell you things that sound more like pan-Africanism than abolitionism, 
best believe it's all tied together. And that is one of the great faults of our civil rights movement, so to speak, over the last couple hundred years, is we have these camps. Pan-Africanism is not abolitionism. But it is, and they should be together. So when I talk about black empowerment, just know I'm talking about abolitionism. Because once we get you out of slavery and get you off the plantation, we got to have some place to put you to empower yourself. So this is the Abolitionist Daily. we got to take our break. We're going to come back. I promise we'll get into the news. Let me give you the number. I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, 712-775-7035. The access code is 367-526-POUND. You hit star six and then the number one. You will be in the caller's queue. We'll be right back. the abolitionist daily this is johan and Elia here on the black talk radio network ready to get into the news i think i tenderized you long enough <laughs> i think I, I i beat on that on that tough meat worked it down worked it out tenderized it a little bit and we can give you the news hopefully we've prepared the soil so to speak so that these seeds can actually get in the ground and take root and actually grow and produce fruit in you produce fruit in our communities because I'm not just scattering seeds just to be out here just throwing it out to the wind this is seed sowing this is actually something I'm trying to do to create a difference for the future you ever seen Tom Hanks on that castaway just on that island nothing what he start eating uh crabs, he could catch crabs and eating drinking coconut juice or something, I don't know we're in a place where there is fertile soil but we have no food so we're going to have to grow it ourselves we're going to have to sow seeds and water it and care for it, make sure it gets plenty of sunlight and we're going to have to get righteous and it's just no way around it, we're going to have to be positive light to give sunlight to our seeds so they'll grow so that's what we do here is is plant these seeds and, and pray for rain. So our first story we're going to discuss today from Raw's story. And I promise we're going to get a chance to cover a lot of stuff here. I don't want you guys to think the hours have been wasted with my rhetoric. 
This is a story from Raw Story. Houston Sheriff fires six jailers, suspends 29 people over the treatment of mentally ill inmate left in a filthy cell. Hmm. Sounds exactly like about uh, maybe a couple dozen other stories we've told you about here. So here we go again. A Texas sheriff has fired six jailers and suspended 29 others after an investigation determined they let a mentally ill inmate live in cell filled with rotting food covered in bugs, a clogged toilet, feces-smeared walls, and with his clothing hanging from the ceiling, presumably because he was contemplating suicide. There are reports that the Harris County Sheriff Adrian Garcia dismissed two jailers at the center of the controversy as well as four supervisors who oversaw them. Additionally, another 29 jailhouse employees were suspended without pay for periods of up to 1 to 10 days. According to Prosecutor Julian Ramirez, mentally ill inmate Deterius Terry Rashad Goodwin was left in his cell for weeks in in deplorable conditions. A sheriff's office compliance team came through and discovered that inmate Terry Goodwin's cell was deplorable. They found dozens of food trays. They found an infestation of gnats. They found horrible conditions, Ramirez said. Two of the jailers, Sergeant Ricky Pickens-Wilson and Sergeant John Figueroa, faced third-degree felony charges for tampering with government documents by signing off and claiming they had inspected the cell when they had not. I want you to remember what I just said. I don't know. I didn't hear that roar from the crowd as, as I said what I just said. Two jailers, Sergeant Ricky Pickens-Wilson and Sergeant John Figueroa, faced third-degree felony charges for tampering with government documents by signing off and claiming they had inspected the cell when they had not. Mark that, please, because we will return to it. According to Sheriff Garcia, the problems in Goodwin's cell were known, but nothing was done about it. The investigation indicated the problems were reported to supervisors, and ultimately supervisors failed to act and take immediate corrective action. Goodwin's mother, Michelle Lambert, said, This is not the end of it for the Houston jailers. They left my son in that horrific cell. My son was set up to kill himself. He had rags hanging from from his ceiling. He was about to commit suicide, she said. He's mentally ill, and you just left him there to die. So, the thing that stands out to me from that story, I mean, other than his story could have just as easily been one of his death. He could just as easily be Brother Darren Rainey. That could be the Darren Rainey story for Texas. But it's not. So, we have to be thankful for whatever we get in these times. That's how critical things are. We have to be thankful that we're not talking about a story like what we covered out of Nevada yesterday, where the brothers are handcuffed and thrown on their bellies in the in the hallway, this left to fight one another by kicking each other like some type of a sick cockfight, and then the guard blows one of them away and shoots the other one also then blames him for the murder of the other one we could be telling you that story again so we're thankful that he wasn't murdered in such a manner we're thankful that he wasn't thrown into a locked custom made shower with no control over the heat of the water and left in there for two hours to be boiled alive I'm thankful for that 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 I don't have to report that same story again You know, that's the kind of story gets pretty old after just one time of telling it. 
Those are the kinds of atrocities that, that sicken you to a degree, poison you to a level, that you don't ever have to tell them again. Once is enough. One time is enough to tell people about something like that. One time in my life is enough to have a Darren Rainey story. One time is enough to have a Bradley Ballard. A man beaten and tortured and left without any type of help for his illness that he was suffering from. He was out of his mind. A man that died of gangrene of his testicles from having a bandage tied around his testicles and constricting the blood flow until his crotch rotted off of his body. He died from that. How many times did that story need to be told? So, I'm thankful that this brother's story is not those stories. But what I'm not looking forward to is the part of his story where two of his jailers, Sergeant Ricky Pickens Wilson and Sergeant John Figueroa, who are facing third-degree felony charges, I don't want to tell the story about how they end up getting out of them charges. Because I had to tell that story about several other guards at several other prisons around America. So just like I'm happy I don't have to tell about Darren Wilson, or Darren Wilson, damn him, Darren Rainey, just like I'm happy I don't have to talk about Bradley Ballard as far as it being a new story, something new happening again. I don't want to talk about these guards being let off with some kind of a crap plea like the guards in Attica that broke this brother, both of his legs, broke his shoulder, literally broke both of this man's legs. One leg broken so badly, separated, they had to reconnect his leg bones back together with a plate and screws. Several ribs, his shoulder, his eye socket corrupted his sinus. His sinus will never repair, will never heal. So I don't want to tell that story of how they did that to that man. Falsified forms, lied about the report, signed off on all of that, faced federal felony charges, looking at 8 to 25 years, The indictment's all in order. Trial coming up. The day before the trial, somehow, some way, they take a plea deal that ends up with their felonies all being turned into misdemeanors and their jail time going to just quit your job. You won't go to jail. You'll do a little house arrest time, a little probation, and we'll sweep this under the rug. See, that's what I don't want to happen. That's what I can't tolerate continuing to happen in my world, in the reality of where I live in America that's supposed to be so damn good and so free and so just. And again, this is where I'm coming from when I'm looking at what's going on in Baltimore. When I sat and watched what was happening in Ferguson and I see all of these racist apologists for white supremacy come out and say these people shouldn't be doing these things. Where were you in situations like what happened in Attica? Where are you right now? 
for Terry Rashad Goodwin. The Harris County Sheriff in his office having to get rid of all these employees and suspend 29 people. How prevalent is the problem? That's not some just something to sweep under the rug. The way this story flows, and then, you know, thank you to Raw Story for telling the story. But it's almost like this, like dismissible, like that's just some, you know, happenstance affair. He fired two sergeants in his sheriff's department outright just straight up fired them how bad is the evidence really what do they really have on these dudes they just straight up fired them I mean these are the same people that are they're also members of the same unions that protect everybody else you you know that Harris County Sheriff's Department is a part of the, 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 the FOP and the BOP and the Brotherhood of the Blue and the, everything else they got going on the KKK and whatever else protects folks to do this type of thing but here these two have been thrown collateral damage, thrown to the wolves. They've fired them, they out. They don't have the police protection. When you get ter- terminated like that, you're not in that union. You out on your own. And then suspended 29 other people for 10 days. So it wasn't just those two sergeants doing what they did. There was some sick stuff going on. So they got these guys indicted. I'm happy. They're facing charges. But they've got to face those felonies. They've got to go to court and face them. Or if they do take plea deals, they got to be like the 97% of federal cases. they got to be like the 94% of state cases where people take those pleas and get those prosecutors' convictions. So that's what a plea is. A plea is a conviction. You don't take a plea deal so you can go home free. You take a plea deal so you can get lesser time, so you can answer to less charges than what they're going to try you for. You hope it works out for you a little bit better, but you don't take a plea to walk away with clean hands. Nobody takes a plea to get misdemeanor charges when they was charged with felonies at trial. The Attica guards did, and this better not happen again. See, this is the kind of thing where people flip out about Baltimore, about the unknown murder of Freddie Gray. they just upset about you won't even tell us what happened. You can't be breaking people's spines and people flip out and go off. This is people in Ferguson flipping out and tearing everything up and going crazy about Michael Brown getting gunned down. But then you find out like a week later that the people were really upset about prevalent racial profiling and racist behavior of the police department, the judiciary, the hell, the city managers themselves, the city council sat down and told those people, we need services for the people. We need a program to be put in place where these people can work off these fines. Because people don't have the money. There's a reason why you're seeing people with parking tickets that they've been paid for 10 years. And we've had them in jail for six months total out of those 10 years. We've had them in and out of court for 10 years. We've had their fines go from $100 original ticket to $1,500 they will have paid the court after 10 freaking years. We have to do something different. And that city manager and those other city council people that was making making a dollar off of that racial profiling and terrorization told them to shut up and sit down because we know what we're doing. We're taking our budget from $1 million in 2010 to $3.4 million in 2014. And if you're not a part of that, maybe you need to find another job. 
That's why people flip out. Mentally ill people being left in jail cells with bugs and feces and rotten mold and no water and you know the person's, men person's mentally ill to begin with and this is the kind of torture and the kind of treatment that can go on in a normal everyday city. What does Harris County, Texas look like? What is Harris County about? Is Harris County broke? Is Harris County a nice area to live? I would imagine Harris County is a decent place to live. Seems like a nice area. Seems like a nice little suburb. Good schools. People got good jobs. Go back and forth minding their own business every day thinking everything's hunky-dory. Huh, here we go. Harris County, Texas encompasses Houston. Houston is a very wealthy city. For the last, like, since Bush was in office, uh, I think during during those years when Bush was in office, if I remember correctly, they had a run from uh, 2001 up through 2008 where every year Texas had like four out of the top five most wealthy, fastest growing cities in the entire country. Harris County is one of those cities, or counties. Harris County is located in the United States state of Texas. As of the 2010 census, the population was 4,092,459 people, making it the most populous county in Texas and the third most populous county in the United States. Guess what's going on down there, Harris County? They have 4.3 million people, 4.1% unemployment rate, A wealthy place to live, a good place to live. I know people from here that moved down there because it was better. Had good jobs, making good money right here in Kansas City that, that moved there because it was better. So this is what's going on behind the scenes. This is what's happening in your beloved Harris County. So keep an eye on what's going on in, uh, in Harris County as far as the prosecution of these guards. This is how they treat people. See, let's see for yourself if they can, if they get busted. Let's see if they get prosecuted successfully. We're going to judge Harris County. We're going to judge Houston based on the justice that they deliver. Or do we need to see Houston blow the hell up like Baltimore? Is that what we need to see happen? Because injustice is what drives people to do this, people. It's not that the people are just depraved and animals and sick and crazy and thugs. and It's when you deprive people of any hope that you're ever going to take your boot off their neck. I'm not even going to go into the sickness that's going on in Houston. I'm not even going to. I got stories about Houston. We've covered some here on this program. We've covered some on New Abolitionist Radio. Houston Police Department gets an opportunity to send potential jurors in the grand jury to a shooting simulator. How, more, how much more sympathetic to the police can you make people when you send the grand jury to a shooting simulator to give them an opportunity to see what the police deal with? Are you sending people to a poverty simulator? Do you have a mental illness simulator? Do you have a chronic joblessness simulator? Do you have a lifestyle simulator that puts a person into a situation where they experience underemployment 
for decades out of their life and they are constantly kept in a situation where check to check is a dream being check to check is a goal a long term goal that one day I will make enough money to be check to check but right now I can never make ends meet with what I'm making I've gone to school I'm in debt for those classes I'm in debt for that certificate I'm better qualified, so I get a little bit better job now. I go from being a, a low-level whatever assistant to being this kind of a great assistant, and I get this much pay now for that. And I still can't afford to live indoors, eat, have a car, pay a full car payment, pay a full coverage insurance, abide by the law. Do you have a simulator for that? Because that's what the millions of people in your city are dealing with. The millions of people in your city are not cops. The millions of people in your city did not take an oath. The millions of people in your city do not take in uh, gun training and train on simulators and situations and learn de-escalation, learn negotiations. The millions of your people in your city are not paid to go into communities and make relationships with people. For better or for worse, I can't dog out the city I grew up in. When I was a kid, they did used to talk to us. It was very common for you to be walking home from school, and not just me because I was one of the only or probably the only little black kid going, but, I mean, all kids. We used to go to school and trade in our, they used to have uh, Kansas City Chiefs football cards. And they really were trying to show you a nice side. They weren't killing people. They weren't beating people. Had the kids on their side. People I graduated high school with that went to be cops still in that same state of mind, thinking of being a nice guy that loves his neighborhood and loves his community and remembers when those cops used to drive around and give us chief's cards and they would talk to us about how we're doing in school. And Yeah, sure, they were gleaning information, I'm sure. Yeah, sure, they were profiling some of us. I'm positive they were. We didn't know we didn't grow up with a negative stereotype. That's what their job is. That's what, they're, that's what you signed up for. You didn't sign up to be a damn... Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom, Safari leader, you just get to go around and shoot at stuff, shoot at the animals. Houston has a problem, trust me. And maybe this Harris County Department thing will be a fallout, like the, uh, what was it, Santa Clara, what, what was it, uh, California we talked about a couple weeks ago, where their dealings with the geo groups got them all caught up in lawsuits. Hopefully this will be a, a, a big hit for them, so they'll have to deal with what's really going on in Houston. So moving along, it's from the Washington Post. This guy's a freelance, Michael Cohen. I've read some of his stuff before. He's he's pretty strong. So because he's naming Marco Rubio, I just want to cover this right quick. Uh, how for-profit prisons have become the biggest lobby no one is talking about. So several industries have become notorious for the millions they spend on influencing legislation and getting friendly candidates into office. Big oil, big pharma, the gun lobby. But one manages to quickly build influence with comparatively low scrutiny. See, that's, that's he, he's challenging me right there with that. You think they haven't been scrutinized? You think that this is not being put out there? Really? Check our work. Check our body of work. Check our body of podcast. It's right there for anybody. to. We've been tearing these people apart for years. We've shown you the connections for years. Giving you the websites, the links, the data, the reports, the, the, the books. 
the authors, the academics, the experts, the testimony right from their own lips. Yeah, they're getting plenty of scrutiny. It's just not sexy to fight it, I guess. Maybe we need to get us some abolitionist girls to carry the message on, on with push-up bras with tank tops or something. I don't know. Be an abolitionist. Put get like the uh, was the sweats they used to have with the with the words on the on the booty or whatever. Maybe we need to get us some some gear and some sexy ladies to make abolitionism something that you know. That's how they used to do the club ladies night. Get the men to come in, bring in more women. That's how they do at church. Get the men come in. Well, you know these women need to be a little sexier around here, and the men start showing up on Sunday suddenly. Maybe we need to consider that. Get get us some 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 mascots or something like the liquor does. The the, the liquor girls, Royal, uh, Crown Royal girls or whatever, the Heineken girls. We need to get the abolitionist girls to just go around with our T-shirt on and make it sexy. Because it gets plenty of scrutiny. But y'all go right past talking about the private prisons for what it really is. Y'all go right past slavery. Y'all go right past that Thirteenth Amendment. And you jump into John Legend and start talking about free America and reform and decarceration over 50 years and this kind of thing. When you are releasing hundreds and hundreds of people a year, vacating their cases and exonerating people from charges that you took decades of their lives away, damn you talking about decarcerating over 50 years, you... You crazy person, I mean, I almost flipped out. You are not respecting the lives of those people locked up, innocent people locked up, nonviolent, drug-offending people that are locked up, the millions of people, the million people that are there. You're not showing any respect for their lives whatsoever when you say, we're here to help you. Look, man, I'm drowning. Okay, we're on a, we're on a submarine that's lost power, and it's sinking to the bottom. How long do you really think we have for you to figure out a way to not only get us out, but to lift the ship back up from the bottom of the ocean? So we don't just need the sub picked up off the bottom. That's fine if you want to retrieve your sub, but what we need is you to pump some air in here and get us out of here. We don't want to be inside the sub. Decarceration and reform programs are programs to lift the sunken ship off the bottom of the ocean floor because 2.4 million people, 350 people in Florida dying in one year, 3,500 people dying in 10 years in alone, 100 people in Arizona, 200 people in 150 people on Rikers alone, a couple hundred throughout the state of New York, Idaho, Utah, New Mexico, California, Washington State, Mississippi, oh my God, Louisiana, Georgia, deaths in custody off the charts. 60% of all rapes occurring in prisons occurring at the hands of correctional staff is the ship is on the ocean floor. We in the Mary French. It can't get no deeper in the depths of depravity in America than it is right now with slavery right now today. And what we're doing is talking about reforming, so we're going to go down and go grab the ship and start pulling it up. We're going to show you how good we are that we can get the ship and dig it up out of the depths. 
but you're forgetting that there's people inside suffocating to death. People suffering, dying inside that ship while you're worried about picking it up off the floor and dragging it up. They're dying. You're going to lose more and more people. And by the time you get it to the surface, you have a bunch of dead damn bodies. Then we might see what your agenda really was to just retrieve the equipment. Maybe you weren't really thinking about saving lives. I think somebody that wants to save lives goes in and gets the people out. No holes barred. No questions asked. No moderation, no compromise, no negotiations, no political correctness. See, to be an abolitionist, it's not likely you're going to be making a whole lot of new relationships with people that are already profiting from slavery. That doesn't even make sense. How are we going to be abolitionists if we make partnerships and sponsorships with corporate America? I've been restraining from going off on John Legend in the Free America campaign. I've been holding back from calling out some of our so-called abolitionist allies who have these organizations and these programs and these non-for-profit profit centers set up. I talked to a brother who's prominent in the decarceration game. And I got nothing but love for the brother. He's been very respectful to me since we've become social media associates. I got nothing but love for him. I respect what he's doing. I like his style. I like to see a brother out here moving like that, you know. I want to see what he can what he can produce, and I, he's got my full support. I started to enroll in this program for this year. I just didn't have an opportunity because some of my stuff ain't lined up right where I could be where he's at. But he told me himself that he once held a position at a very prominent reform organization, it's supposed to be a non-profit. He told me he was making $180,000 a year. Now, I ain't throwing him no shade, but I don't get paid to be an abolitionist. My pay is in you and me working together and seeing our people come home. That's the paycheck you can't sign and give to me for me to cash nowhere. $180,000 to be a reformer is ridiculous, and I'm glad he quit. But just think about that that as we take our break just think about that it's people working in this reform movement making money do you really think they're trying to end this, the problem at night i can't sleep i toss it turn candlesticks in the dark visions of bodies being burned four walls closing in getting bigger i'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger my mother's always stressing i ain't living right but I ain't going out without a fight. See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating, and blood starts coming out my nose. And somebody you are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, we're back. That was our last break of the program. So it's all home stretch from here. Let me finish up this Washington Post story. I get I get sidetracked talking about the so-called little scrutiny that private prisons face. I take that personally, sir. I take that as an insult. So I'm going to have to find a way to contact this brother, Michael Cohen, because we definitely scrutinizing them. We've been ripping them apart. The two largest for-profit prison, for prison companies in the United States, GEO 
and Corrections Corporation of America and their associates have funneled more than $10 million of candidates since 1989 and have spent nearly $25 million on, e- on lobbying efforts. Meanwhile, these private pro- uh, companies have seen their revenue and market share soar. They now rake in a combined $3.3 billion in annual revenue and the uh, private federal prison population more than doubled between 2000 and 2010, according to a report by the Justice Policy Institute. Private prison uh, companies house nearly half of the nation's immigrant detainees, compared to about 25% a decade ago. In total, there are now about 130 private prisons in the country with about 157,000 beds. Marco Rubio is one of the best examples of the private prison industry's growing political influence, a connection that deserves far more attention now that he's officially launched a presidential bid. The U.S. Senator has a history of close ties to the nation's second largest for-profit private prison company, the Geo Group, stretching back to his days as Speaker of the Florida House of Representatives. While Rubio was leading the House, Geo was awarded a state government contract for a $110 million prison soon after Rubio hired an economic consultant who had been a trustee for the Geo real estate trust over his career Rubio received nearly $40,000 in campaign donations from Geo on the table making him the Senate's top career recipient of contributions from the company the Justice Institute identified the private prison industry's three pronged approach to increase profits through political influence lobbying direct campaign contributions and building relationships and networks. In their lobbying efforts, these companies push for policies that put more Americans behind bars, like mandatory minimum sentencing, California's three strikes rule, Arizona's highly controversial anti-illegal immigration laws. In many cases, these policies have been found to be expensive for taxpayers, racially biased, and ineffective in significantly reducing any crime. This shows just how important these laws are to the private prison industry. Both GEO and Corrections Corporation of America have warned shareholders that changes in these policies would hurt their bottom line. In a 2014 annual report, CCA report, the demand for our facilities and services could be adversely affected by the relaxation of enforcement efforts, leniency in conviction or parole standards, and sentencing practices or through the decriminalization of certain activities that are currently proscribed by our criminal laws. For instance, any changes with respect to drugs and controlled substances or illegal immigration could affect the number of persons arrested, convicted, and sentenced, thereby potentially reducing demand for correctional facilities to house them. Legislation has been proposed in numerous jurisdictions that could lower minimum sentences for some nonviolent crimes and make more inmates eligible for early release based on good behavior. Damn, if they ain't telling you the problem. How do you take that? How do you take that? When Damon Heinegger, CEO of Corrections Corporation of America, makes a statement like that to you, look at Baltimore through lenses designed by a statement like this. That's the only time you're being realistic. 
plain and simple. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat play games with you. We are talking about life and death. Look at Ferguson through lenses designed by a statement like this. Look at America's war on crime, war on drugs. Now war on terror. Hell, we're going after Muslims too, brown people still. Black, poor, immigrants. There's nothing coincidental. The people that create this legislation, the people that create these types of statements, the people that generate the billions of dollars, are not black people. See, that's what's going to happen on this program. So if it, if it pisses you off, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Yes, sure, there's racist proxies propped up. There's a token Negro somewhere. Hell, Thurgood Marshall Jr. serves on the board of the CCA. So, of course, there are Negroes associated with this foolishness. One of the first prison administrators in the history of the state of Alabama's prison system was a black man. Did you know that? I could find his name again. We talked about it on this podcast a couple months ago when we broke down Alabama. Surprised me to find it too, but then it also didn't surprise me because one thing that Negroes have tried to do from the beginning is assimilate and associate and get more rations and get prettier clothes and nicer buggies and, and carriages and horses and better shoes and finer hats and materials and Live it up white supremacy style instead of being damn free. So it doesn't surprise me, and I'm not uh, ignorant of the fact that there are, you're going to be able to find some black folks. Woody Myers, Woodrow, Dr. Woodrow Myers, CEO of Corizon, a company with over 1,300 lawsuits against it for wrongful death, malpractice, mistreatment, denying people medical care deaths in custody where they've been named is responsible thousands of cases brought against them and there's a black man sitting at the head of it I'm sure there are black people scattered all throughout this system but you know just like I know damn it don't play this game with me CCA is run by white people they're not creating these they're not lobbying these politicians with any kind of concern towards black people because black people don't have political representation. Black folks ain't coming to the table with their money pooled together and beating CCA to the punch. Black folks is making Jordan's, Jordan rich. Your collective lobbying dollars. Hell, the uh, video game GTA came out like three years ago. I'll never forget, they said that damn game made a billion dollars the first day it came out. People are not poor. These movies come out. You, you ever went out to go see Paul Walker? Paul Walker's dead. Oh, my God. Tyrese's been crying for two years behind this white boy. This Negro done shed more tears and gained more fame behind crying over Paul Walker's death. And the Fast and the Furious 7 comes out, and it breaks all box office records. Number one movie in America... 
People have money. But this is where Negroes are spending their lobbying money, CCA carrying their money to the politicians and throwing your black ass in jail for longer, for more punitive charges, for more silliness, for prohibition, for longer and longer times in more and more prisons that they're building. And they're telling the shareholders, who's white folks again, who do you know that owns shares in CCA? You can't point to no collection of black folks. I don't care what you say. Generating millions and millions of dollars off of owning shares in private prisons. And they are telling their shareholders. This could all crumble if we continue to see the expansion of decriminalization, people. You've got to be helping us help you. We can't make you the money we're making you if they start decriminalizing this petty drug possession. We got people... that we need to have coming in and out and in and out and in and out of these jails so we can get that money for you. Won't you help us? Won't you get active? Get on your job? We got Freddie Gray's out here to arrest 18 times so we can generate revenue for your cities. See, Freddie Gray was arrested all those times over all those years but Freddie Gray wasn't convicted of all those crimes. He was just arrested. You can arrest somebody over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and keep getting money off of that every time. And a few times it's going to stick, and a few times they're going to end up going to prison, and when they get in that, then it's going to make money for the. So the whole system is set up against you, and your money is at the movie, movie complex, at the movie theater, and at the Foot Locker, at the car dealership, and at Olive Garden, a Red Lobster or something. And hell, we've shown you on this program how just those companies are a part of Correctional Vendors Association. Lobbying your politicians to create laws to generate more revenue for them. We've shown that. So you got GO and CCA going against you. That's what this article's about. Lobbying against your interests. And you got these other private corporations that you happily go support. This makes you happy to be a consumer of these people. You might think prison don't affect you because you're not breaking no laws. You ain't going to jail. But prison affects you because the place where you went out to eat is a wholly owned subsidiary of another company that supplies food to 200 prisons in the country. And they are lobbying your congressmen and lobbying your politicians to increase sentencing right where you live so when you get pulled over on that fake ass charge with whatever they pull you over for you gotta pay to stay out of the prison and if you can't pay to stay out of the prison now you're going in like a whole lot of other people on some trumped up charges so now the prosecutors got even more leverage to point at you when they say if you're looking at 20 years that 20 years is thanks to the people that own the company that you go give your money to it's thanks to them because they lobbied your Congress to give longer sentences for more and more punitive charges, for more and more silly quality of life, victimless, nonviolent BS. And you don't care because you don't break the law. Well, wait till they write a law that applies to you. Wait till you get pulled over and the cop just throws something at you and you gotta prove that you're innocent. See, it says guilty. It says innocent until proven guilty by a court of law. It says reasonable doubt. It's what it says, but it also says that you are going to get a right to a trial of your peers. 
But we've already proven to you, 97% of the time, federal cases, you're not getting that. 94% of the cases in the states, you're not getting that. And guess what else you're not getting? You're not getting a presumption of innocence. You're going to get charges stacked against you to milk your bank account, to see what you're made of. You think you're tough. You think you got a good job. You think this don't mean nothing to you. It don't apply. All you need is to get pulled over for something you didn't even know. Man, I didn't even know the taillight was missing a bulb. Had to had a bulb out. Damn. Well, while we got you, you don't mind if I run your license. You don't mind if I search your car. Do you? Wait a minute. Why you need to search my car, sir? Don't resist. You think I'm joking? You think that ain't what happens in millions of cases every year? These bastards ain't no professional detectives and investigators and stopping crime. These sons of bitches is revenue generators, and you better get that in your head today. This is the slave catchers. How many times am I going to have to tell you that story? The for real slave catchers. Not for play. Not a joke. Not a law. The origins of the Boston Police Department can be traced directly back to 1631 with the formation of the first night watch. Literally the first police force in the nation. So there you got it right there. It's where it started. Slavery was abolished in Massachusetts in 1780. And Massachusetts Constitution declared all men born free and equal. But Boston was the anchor of the original 13 colonies and it was the foundation upon which the nation was more or less going to be built. By 1796, Boston watchmen had a badge, a rattle, and a six-foot pole they called a hook and bill. The hook was to catch... And the round bill was used to beat people upside the head. By 1838, the daytime police were established and the Boston police forces then consisted of a day police and a night watchman. And by 1850, the fugitive slave law had them kicking slave and black folks' ass. By law. People, you ain't about to get a break. It's not going to just go away. It's not going to just not happen to you. It's not going to just miss you. It's set up the way it's set up to catch you. And it's doing a damn good job. It's catching you. These people are spending big time millions and millions of dollars on the table as well as under the table. We talked about the governor a couple of weeks ago on this program. took $15,000 for his daughter's wedding. This is just from some little small-time guy that was trying to get a, 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 I think it was like a health food supplement or something, some kind of a pills or something he had developed. He was just trying to get this governor to, to give him some endorsement so he could start his little, little lightweight supplement company. This is not a multi-billion dollar prison company. This is not a multi-billion dollar health care company. This is some dude with a couple hundred thousand or maybe he had a couple million. I don't know what's in his pockets, but he was not no big conglomerate. He was not some big international player. But he was giving the governor $25,000 in clothes and shopping sprees, paying his wife off, sending the people on private, va excuse me, private vacations. They flying on the private jet, go going around the world. He paid for his daughter's wedding. He's giving this man all kind of gifts. This is just one individual with one governor. Your entire Congress 
has collected $45 million from GEO Group and CCA in the last 10 years. $11 million specifically lobbying the immigration detention situation. How much money do you think these people are collecting under the table? We're watching the fight in Washington, D.C. right now where city councilmen are coming out and saying these people are texting me, calling me constantly, emailing me. I don't know these people and I'm not supporting Corizon. They're begging us to give them this little funky $66 million contract for the Washington, D.C. jails. Why are they on our necks like this? We said no. They're trying to put money in their hands. They're begging them, what can I do to get you to vote to approve this contract so we can get this $66 million and we'll be right here in the backyard of the United States Capitol influencing federal policy from right here at home. Horizon is about to raise their profits from $1.5 billion to over $2 billion. When they get that contract with Washington, D.C., they're going to get more money for their shareholders. What are you bringing to the table as an abolitionist, as a passive listener, as a friend, as a loved one, as somebody that just walked by and this was, was blaring out the radio and you want to know what the hell I'm talking about? What are you doing? Are you helping us put these people on blast? You want to protest, you want to flip out and go off, go to where the problem is at. That is one thing I can kind of understand when people say they're not down with the protest. Well, actually, I don't really care. If people want to flip out and tear up stuff, I don't really care. Go do it. Get it out your system. Do whatever you got to do. Eventually, you're either going to come into a greater knowledge of truth and start actually getting organized and doing something effective, or you're going to get yourself caught up and beat up and killed or jailed or something, and we'll, we'll just be doing more culling because everybody that look like us ain't with us. Everybody that look like they on our side ain't about to fight for freedom. It don't matter. I told you about Solomon Northrop. There's 500,000 Negroes just like him that could give a damn about slavery in the 1800s. So some of these people out here rioting, it ain't going to bother me if they get locked up. I'm just being honest. As an abolitionist, I'm not even for this system. But some of these people are not going to do anything to help the people that need to be released. They're never going to do anything but cause chaos and tear up stuff and be out here acting an ass. They're not going to take good counsel. They're not going to be somebody that you can help and you can turn them around. Some people just want to be bad. So I don't mind when I see this stuff getting tore up and all that. If it was mine, I'd be mad. But hell, you got insurance? Rebuild. If you really feel some kind of way, get like the Koreans did during the L.A. riots. Take your pistols and go protect your stuff. Don't sit up and tell me about how upset you are because you see all these animals out here and these people are innocent. Those businesses didn't do anything. I know what I saw in Koreatown. Them people were serious as a heart attack. They had their streets lined. They was on the rooftops, on the corners, had blockades built up and and bulwarks. I'm not joking. Them Asian men and women... And kids protected their stuff. And that ride went right on around Koreatown. And they busted some shots at some people, too. They got some heads. So if you really want to get down to it, if you just love your donut shop so much, why the hell ain't you at the donut shop? Ain't nobody coming in there throwing no rocks when you throwing back lead. But my point here, we're getting off the subject. My point here is, These people are lobbying successfully. 
So I'm asking you, what are you doing? What are you contributing to the fight? What are you giving to try to keep this? Since this outlook runs counter to what should be a rehabilitative mission of the nation's criminal justice system, you do see. Instead, private prison contracts often require the government to keep the correctional facilities and immigration detention centers full, forcing communities to continuously funnel people into the prison system, even if actual crime rates are falling. Nearly two-thirds of private prison contracts mandate that state and local governments maintain a certain occupancy rate, usually about 90%, or require taxpayers to pay for empty beds. In Arizona, three private prisons are operating with a 100% occupancy guarantee. There's even a lockup quota at the federal level. The Immigration and, and Customs Enforcement Detention Budget includes a mandate from Congress that at least 34,000 immigrants, 34, immigrants remain detained on a daily basis, a quota that has grown steadily each year, even as the undocumented immigrant population in the United States has leveled off. Private prisons have profited handsomely, from that policy, owning nine of the last of the ten largest ICE detention centers, owning nine of the ten largest ICE detention centers, and with the growing influence on the prison lobby, the nation is in effect commoditizing human bodies for an industry in militant pursuit of profit. For instance, privatization created an atmosphere that made the kids for cash scandal possible. Man, this guy is just giving you straight up ancient history. I guess he's just learning about what's going on here. I mean, it's a nice little collection of all stuff that New Abolitionist Radio was reported on consistently for the last two or three years. So I thank him for that. But you're just getting a rehash of the of the facts and the stats. The biggest beneficiaries of private prisons, political donations, have been Republican politicians in Florida, Tennessee, and border states with high populations of undocumented immigrants. The Republican Party of Florida political action committee has received nearly 2.5 million dollars from geo and cca since 1989 in 2010 geo and its affiliates pumped 300 or pumped 33,500 into political action committees benefiting florida republicans including marco rubio for u.s senate in 2009 geo group's co-founder co-executive or chief executive george zoli personally donated 6,500 dollars to rubio a 2011 investigative report published by the Center for Media and Democracy detailed the conditions between Rubio and Geo during his time in the Florida House. It notes that Rubio hired Donna Arduin, a former trustee for Geo's Correctional Properties Trust, as an economic consultant. This is why I'm really reading this report, because I've already told you all this stuff, and you already know all these things about these companies. But this is some new information here that he's given us. Oh, Rubio hired Geo Group's former trustee for their property trust. Do you imagine that Marco Rubio is going to be more for or against mass incarceration, which is modern-day slavery, if and when he becomes a candidate for president representing the Republican Party? You tell me what you think. Do you think he has taken this money and he has hired these employees of private prisons and he has helped craft this legislation dealing with increasing mass incarceration do you imagine that he's going to somehow when he gets even more power and more influence do you imagine a scenario where he's going to be for abolition of modern day slavery I don't I think that's rather silly to believe that he would somehow stop doing what has made him wealthy and popular and politically tied in and kept him with a job. He's not going to just give that up. Arduin worked with Rubio's then-budget chief, Ray Sanson. Hmm. Who pushed through a $110 million deal for a new GO prison in the House Appropriations Bill. 
The report also detailed how legislation favorable to Geo Group has shadowed Arduin's presence in government from California to Florida, coast to coast. In 2011, Florida Governor Rick Scott, who also used Arduin as a budget advisor, pushed, however unsuccessfully, to privatize 27 prisons south of Orlando. Upon winning the Senate seat, Rubio tapped former lobbyist Cesar Conda as his chief of staff in 2011. Conda had co-founded what is now GEO's main lobbying firm, Navigators Global, and after joining Rubio, continued receiving payments of $150,000 from the firm as a part of a stock buyout arrangement. In April 2014, Conda went on to lead Rubio's Reclaim America PAC as a senior advisor until recently joining the Navigators Global again. During Conda's time with Rubio, Gio became a top 10 contributor to Reclaim America, giving $16,000 in 2014, according to OpenSecrets.org. Conda's firm also banked $610,000 from the private prison company between 2011 and 2014 in a, in a position as its lobbying firm. According to a disclosure form obtained by the nation, among the issues navigators lobbied for on GL's behalf was immigration reform, an issue on which Rubio has remained dubious. In an email responding to these issues, Conda said navigators never, never lobbied for GL's prison business. He said the services were for GL's subsidiary, BI Incorporated, the people who make the house arrest bracelets for people's ankles. They bought the company that created the house arrest ankle bracelet. GL Group bought them. And it's a part of their company now. And it's a major multi-million dollar organization because they don't only control people in the 2.4 million actually incarcerated, they also control a portion of the 9 million people who are on continued supervision programs such as probation and parole and house arrest and, and halfway houses and all this type of stuff. So Geo Group's getting money from every angle. And that's who this guy is saying is who they actually lobbied for. Uh, the team working on it, which he wasn't a part of, focused on homeland security issues, so he said. And that he never met or communicated with Navigator's lobbyists about Geo while working for Rubio, though he couldn't speak for other members of the senator's staff. But Rubio shouldn't just get a pass just because there's no clear quid pro quo. What our criminal justice system needs is reform, not incentive for expansion. In fact, opposition to criminal justice reform should render any candidate woefully inadequate to lead a nation suffering from a prison system that essentially perpetuates the oppression of the most vulnerable citizens. That's the whole point of the move to abolish 21st century slavery's campaign to tear these people apart on the subject of modern-day slavery and human trafficking. If you need to find us, we are on Facebook at... New Abolitionist Radio, The Abolitionists Daily, The Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking, which is a private group, around 1,500 members now, where we are beginning a campaign to prove out information, just like what's in this article, about what's at the root of these people's monies and who's behind them and who's supporting them, what laws they're for, what they've signed off on, what policies do they endorse, are they for mass incarceration or against it, are they even going to talk about it as they run for President of the United States? Have you seen anybody bring this subject up yet? Has Hillary talked about it? Has Jeb talked about it? Has Marco talked about it? Is Rand Paul talking about it? That's what we're talking about. We're the real abolitionists. Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, 
New Abolitionist Radio. We're at N A R End Slavery. So the name of the Twitter page is at New Abolitionist Radio End Slavery. N A R End Slavery. Or you can just look up New Abolitionist Radio. We're on YouTube, New Abolitionist Radio YouTube page. Email me at newabolitionistradio at gmail.com. However you need to contact us, get in contact with us. We are the real abolitionists. We are really for real about ending mass incarceration, modern-day slavery. And I say peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. I'm out. Subject the police terror. You bite your tongue to tolerate that gang with badges in blue. But you bang on each other for brother step on your shoes. Open fire on the Mother's Day parade in New Orleans. But afraid to pull that strap to combat black unemployment. We get snare mind assistance from their politician. With nothing to lose, there's nothing to fear in the system. Dish em, switch up, bump, bump, diddy, bump. The masses are hungry, but the wealthy ain't giving up. Pack up and blow it, blow a block of the cheese. So now we rock with a tournament to make them drop to their knees. Exploitation of our culture, fake and shaking in Harlem. That's why I got no problem when the homies come to rob them. Black autonomous anthem. So my comrades are cranking, vegetarian, but down to put a pig in the place. Here it goes. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.